Your eyes on the times, you walk ready to speak up But with so many problems, you're exhausted trying to keep up This is the Church Politics Podcast Where you can get political commentary from a biblical worldview We're not trying to be conservative or progressive We're trying to be Christian in the public square and I'm black as heaven I'm made in God's image Nobody can change my settings Amen. Hey man, cut off my knees And put an end to my search It's easy to sell your soul When you don't know what it's worth With your no good Ann Camp You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast With Justin Gibney A.K.A. Bishop Cooper's grandson And the Windy City representative The baddest brother above The Mason-Dixon line My play cousin The right reverend Christopher Butler Chris, it, it, it's fair to say over at the end campaign that we have a lot going on. Um, this particular announcement we've been waiting for, for for quite a bit, and we probably will do a whole episode on it. But on Thursday, April 13th, uh, a major thing is happening for the end campaign. A large number of elders in the black church from Bishop Claude Alexander, Dr. Cynthia Hale, uh, Dr. Barbara William Skinner are giving the Ann campaign campaign their blessing as a legitimate voice in the public square. And this is major to us because we have so much um, respect for our elders, what they've been through, what they've done. And so to be in a position where we can get their blessing, get their endorsement is major. So that'll be on April 13th. The event is called Heirs of Action. And it's probably the biggest event that the Ann campaign has had so far. So if you are in Atlanta, mark your calendar right now, Thursday, April 13th at seven o'clock, Ray of Hope Church. You got to be there. This this is is history. So, Chris, what, what are your thoughts about that, man? Just this the importance of this moment. Yeah, I, I, I think it's huge. I think a lot of. Uh... A lot of folks will recognize that some of these people who are going to be, you know, in, endorsing and providing the blessing uh, on our work are are people who are kind of giants of the faith and, and in the church. For me, it's tremendously humbling. And I feel a great uh, weight of responsibility, even as we head toward, you know, this Airs of Action event. Uh, but I, I also think that it's a, it's a great mo- moment in kind of the the, the, the history and the legacy of the church's involvement with, with social action uh, and, and civic responsibility. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very exciting. Um, and I, I hope I'm not, you know, overblowing it, but it, it is, is for me personally, it's, it's also a little bit weighty. Yeah, it is. And you hit it on the head. I mean, these are giants within the faith, people who have, who have sacrificed for so long. And they're folks that don't just put their name on, on anything that comes along. Uh, this is a product of long-term relationship building, doing our best to maintain our integrity, doing our best to be professional, and most importantly, doing our best to be biblical. And uh, they have recognized that. Uh, and again, I'm just I'm just humbled. Uh, it's an on- ongoing conversation, but it's always good to see the generations come into this thing. So make sure you're there. Uh, Lecrae is part of the runner show. Uh, we got uh, Representative Trene McGee, who, if you don't know that name, you should soon, uh, who's going to be a part of it. Just a lot of folks coming out. Lisa Fields from uh, uh, Jude 3, Dr. Charlie Dates. The, the list goes on and on. They'll all be in Atlanta on April 13th. You don't want to miss it. The other thing is tonight or 
it may be the next night for some of you who are listening. You're going to be listening a day later. We have our third installment, our third episode of How I Got Over, which is about the schoolhouse, which is about the black tradition and its interaction with academia and with uh, education in general. This is one of the best ones. It's featuring uh, Esau McCauley, uh, Vince Bantu, a whole bunch of folks, uh, Dr. Cheryl Sanders from Howard University. You don't want to miss it. If you want to see the preview, which is going to happen on Tuesday night, you need to go to the African-American Pulpit Society Facebook page. And once you go to that Facebook page, you can view that episode uh, in, in kind of like a, a preview. Uh, so check that out when you can. It'll be on the website. Make sure you're watching this docu-series that it took us a long time to put together. People are loving it, but make sure you go check it out. Well, Chris, let, let's get to it a little bit. As always, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Fetzer Institute, for supporting us in what we do and how we do it. Um, also want to also always give a shout out to our, our patrons on patreon.com slash church politics. We actually do premium episodes. So if you want more church politics, all you got to do is become one of our patrons and you will get an extra uh, segment uh, once you once you sign on to that. But let's get into it. Grab your Bible, get your mind right and prepare to think not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but to think like a Christian. And I want to start it off like this, Chris. Be alert and of sound mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. First Peter chapter five, verse eight. Chris, the Bible in a number of places tells us to be vigilant, to be watchful. Another way to put it is to be alert or aware. The Greek word here means to awaken or to rise from drowsiness or slumber. In other words, don't sleep or don't sleepwalk through life because there is danger. There is an enemy and there is temptation. What we face in this world is more than what meets the eye. Uh, this is a call to spiritual alertness in this verse. The verse is also telling us to be sober minded. Once we awaken to the enemy's schemes, we must act with self-control and good judgment. Last week, a conservative columnist, uh, Bethany Mandel, went viral, seriously viral. Mandel is the author of a new book entitled Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. Now, Chris, I'll be honest, I have not read the book. Uh, I know she's kind of going she's going around the circuit and kind of promoting the book. Uh, but from what I gather, it's at least in part about how young people are being indoctrinated by wokeness in American education and in pop culture. Now, again, Mandel went viral after being asked by Brianna Joy Gray, who is on The Hills Rising. Uh, it's a good show. You guys should check it out. I think it's one of those alternatives to, to cable news. But Brianna uh, Joy Gray asked her to, def to define wokeness. Um, a good question for somebody who just wrote a book on wokeness. The bad part was she could not give an answer. She stumbled around for a little bit and then she eventually kind of gave up. She just did not have a concise definition of wokeness or woke. And I think it's fair, Chris, to criticize somebody who wrote a book 
about the phenomenon, but can't provide you with a definition of the phenomenon. Now, y'all know as well as we do that wokeness has become a buzzword. It means different things to different people. The right, the political or ideological right, has made it a ubiquitous three-headed monster that apparently is worse than racism and worse than America's bloody history of discrimination. But what is the true definition of woke? Again, it, it depends on who you ask. But what I'll try to do is give you a few definitions and I'll let you make the choice of which one you want to you want to ride with. The first definition, Chris, is the original definition, as I understand it, um, which I think is the closest to First Peter 5, 8. It comes from the black conscious community. And I'll admit that during my undergrad years, partially into my law school years, I flirted with this community quite a bit. And I'll tell you, I learned a lot of things. There are some excesses there, as there are with any community. But there were some things that I learned that I wouldn't have known had I not had those interactions. And the black conscious community has been and was a major part of hip hop, a major part of soul music, especially during the 90s. Um, And so you had hip hop groups like Black Star with Most Def. You had folks like Erica Badu, Dead Prez. Um, public enemy before that and, and many others. Um, and they kind of express this, this kind of black consciousness or, or woke point of view. Um, the original definition of woke, again, as I understand it, was an awareness or an alertness to systemic racism historically and presently and how white people in certain spaces have maintained power at our expense. It's about being aware of the physical psychological and spiritual warfare that we've endured. And again, some of that information is things we should just be learning in history. I mean, some of it is just uh, historical facts that many people just never learned. So if you say something like, man, why are so many black people uh, on drugs? Somebody who's woke would inform you that the CIA and others allowed crack to flood black neighborhoods. Now, you might not have known that, but that's the truth. Now, it doesn't mean that, again, there aren't some excesses within this community, but that's generally what wokeness meant. Uh, In other words, wake up. Uh, There's more, as I said before, there's more to this than meets the eye. The second definition of wokeness is the co-opted right wing definition of of wokeness. It sees wokeness as an evil anti-American ideology or religion, sometimes they'll refer to it as a religion, that teaches perpetual victimhood and seeks to destroy the nation's norms. It teaches white kids, as you'll often hear, that they're wrong for being white. Now, Bethany, Bethany Mandel, from what I can tell, and again, I haven't read the book, but from what I can tell by her interviews, she was kind of perpetuating this definition of wokeness, even though she couldn't necessarily define it herself. And you have to ask yourself, if you write a whole book on this subject, but the definition isn't clear in your mind, maybe the priority of this book, maybe the priority of this message isn't necessarily accuracy. But I said, but as I said before, kind of scare tactics, because the right has definitely co-opted the term woke. And I think it has overstated the phenomenon for their own cultural and political purposes. It's been used as a scare tactic to motivate their voters. 
But what I think people are missing, and here's the third definition. What I think people are missing is that the far left has co-opted wokeness too. Under their definition, wokeness is the complete acceptance of everything secular progressivism says about identity and power. They've filled the term wokeness with a bunch of secular progressive symbols, figures, and language that were not part of the original definition that I gave you, that were not even thought of as part of the same conversation. The far left, the far left's definition is excessive, and I think it places overly broad definitions of homophobia, transphobia, and places it on the back of race. White progressives do have a habit of using race to carry their issues, and I think wokeness has been used to do just that. I remember the first time, Chris, that a white lady called my wife BIPOC. And I remember her asking me, what in the world does that mean? Like, is it an insult? What does it, what in the world does that mean? Now, context clues told us that she felt like she was doing something that was right, but we had no idea what she was talking about. The same way you see a similar uh, issue with it when it comes to Latinx uh, or Latinx, whatever, you know, whatever you, however you want to say it. People making up terms and things of that nature and imposing them on the people that they're supposed to define. Wokeness on the left, I think, Chris, tries to merge secular progressivism with blackness, tries to merge secular progressivism with being a woman, tries to merge secular progressivism with being a person of color to be truly black, according to, to to what this would say to us is to be defined by our juxtaposition to conservative white males as if we're to be defined by what we're not as if we're to be defined as if we're to define ourselves by centering whiteness and doing the opposite. And I think that is a ridiculous way to, for anybody to define themselves. And I think the whole effort is intellectually dishonest. So at this point, we heard the original definition of, of wokeness, but at this point, transgender, transgender ideology is part of wokeness. And if we, and if you fail to accept that and affirm that, then you're on team oppressor. Let white, let ex white evangelicals tell it to be woke is to deconstruct the authority of scripture because Jerry Falwell apparently wrote the Bible. Right. This is the kind of wokeness that I think the left has taken, used it and attached a lot of its platform and agenda to race and move forward from there. But, Chris, that's just my interpretation of the situation. I would appreciate if you spoke on it. Well, you know, um, I I obviously saw the, um, you know, the the interview go viral. Uh, I, I, I do try to pay attention to rising. I didn't see this particular interview, but you know, when I saw the thing going viral, I said, you know, I'm going to give this the same treatment that we uh, endorse and talk about a lot on this, on this podcast, you know, so I went and looked at the, the, the whole interview because I'm, you know, I, I, I did not want to just be a part of the crowd of people uh, sort of piling on to this one sort of faux pas moment. And so I said, let me go look at the, at the entire interview. I looked at the entire interview. Honestly, 
I felt like the whole thing was was choppy. Like it, it seemed like, frankly, that Bethany was a little bit unprepared for the interview uh, overall. But that's just one interview. She's she's you know a human individual. So I went and looked for more things. I looked on 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 her Twitter, uh, and on her Twitter, she gives a definition of wokeness. She says that wokeness is a radical belief system suggesting that our institutions are built around discrimination and claiming that all disparity is a result of that discrimination. It seeks a radical redefinition of society in which equality of a group results in the end point enforced by an angry mob. And you can have your own opinion of that, but when I read it, I was like, that's a little bit of word salad and it it doesn't really land me on a good definition. So now I'm getting a little concerned. So I, I figured that we might be discussing this on the podcast. Uh, I think we talked about it in some other meetings that we were in, uh, Justin. And so I said, let me go grab the book. I'm going to grab the book. I'm going to uh, roll through this book a little bit. I uh, spent some time with it because she even referenced the book in the interview uh, when she couldn't come up with the definition. The first thing that she said was that uh, they devoted a chapter of the book to defining wokeness. Um, and so I went, Justin, you know, I read through the book. And, you know, when usually I will say as a caveat, when somebody on a, a podcast or a news program uh, tells you that they read a book, uh, you know, they, they read it in the kind of like academic speed read mode, uh, which is which is what I did. But I did take more time with the chapter that used the word wokeness in its title. There's no definition. There's a lot of anecdote uh, and, you know, sort of suggestion at what the definition might be. And and I think that is probably the issue. I mean, I, I would say that that Justin being the intellectual powerhouse that he is has has been kind to the right definition of wokeness. Because, you know, I, I think you set this in. I pulled up several people, you know, who kind of are sort of what I would call it conservative commenters uh, who have taken in this viral moment to put a definition out there uh, for wokeness from the right. And it, there's just nothing consistent, you know. It, and so it seems like the word is is not well enough defined. And I think that the, the problem there uh, is that Unlike the initial definition of wokeness, there is no clear meaning. And I, I don't just mean from like an academic you know, standpoint, like is there some academic out there who has put down a definition of wokeness? I'm almost certain uh, that there is from the right. But it, when, you, when you think about wokeness from the black conscious perspective, uh, even a little bit, you know, the, the sort of left co-opted perspective, there's a clear kind of socialized idea that can be placed into one's mind by ha- making that utterance of wokeness. And I think that's the goal of a word, right, is to communicate some meaning, to call something distinct uh, into a person's mind. And if the word doesn't do that, I think it's problematic if you're trying to make good faith uh, arguments from the right. It's problematic to lean too much on this word. Because looking through the book, many, many, many uh, of the critiques within the book when it comes to uh, all these uh, different brands of ideology and the specific chapter on wokeness uh, is, is is dealing with, you know, how things were handled in the p- pandemic. I would agree with a lot of those criticisms, but I think that if you are trying to make a good faith argument from the right, 
you might want to avoid the word wokeness because it doesn't have the, the kind of weight of meaning. Uh, and so it does come off to a lot of listeners as intellectually lazy. It comes off as kind of a catch-all and more of a fear-mongering tactic uh, than, a, than a real argument, which I would, I would suggest that's what you want to do with your words uh, is actually make clear argument. And, I don't and, that's, and that's what they say is doing too much work. Right. Like you say this one word and it covers so much space that it doesn't really tell us anything. And if you're making an intellectually dishonest argument or you don't have the best of intentions or you're not being intellectually, uh, like I said, if you're not being intellectually honest, there's a benefit to that. Right. There's a benefit to not having a very clear definition there. That way I can just throw everything under that definition and, and it works for me. What are your thoughts, though, specifically on the idea that the left has co-opted this, too? Because one of the things that I know and when I'm at a family reunion, when I'm just visiting friends or whatever, there are black folks who are fairly progressive who will use woke as a pejorative, too. And I think that's what people miss. Too. Like you can be just hanging out and like, man, here we go with that woke stuff again. Right. That's not just a conservative thing. Like these people who aren't necessarily conservative, but they kind of get sick of the over dramatized hyper woke things. Can you speak into that a little bit? Because I think that's also a, a co-optation. Yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, a, a, a definite co-optation. I think that the co-optation on the left um, is, a, I, I guess I would say it's a little bit more effective, right? Because I, I think that the left is proactively clear. I think if, if I say to the right, some somebody on the right, uh, when, when you say wokeness, do you actually mean that everything that, you know, conservatives disagree with? is woke, most people will say no, right? I think the mood on the left is a little bit different, right? Like there is a a more accepted kind of, all of this comes together as one big package, like racial justice. Uh, it's kind of intersectionality and bringing yeah. it all together. Yeah, but that that kind of, that is the thinking. And I, and I, don't, I think that m- more on the left, people don't back away from that and shy away from that so much. Like, yeah, that is that is the thinking. And you can't be, um, you, you know, sort of like pro-racial justice, but not, you know, affirming of all the rest of this stuff that we have put in, um, you know. And, and so if, if that's going to be your position, obviously, I disagree with that position. But at least I understand that that's the position. Uh, versus just being able to throw a word on any situation um, and 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 color the conversation in a way because it's mostly been used in, in my mind and, and you know I'm I'm just a, a guy here on a podcast talking about it, right? but but in, in my mind it, it seems like the the idea is that I can put this label on it and make it bad without having to make the argument and I think that's especially I'm fortunate in the case of somebody, you know, like I said, I, when I looked at the book, I, I looked through some Twitter stuff. I think Bethany Mandel, I don't agree with her on everything. There's a lot of stuff that she has put out, a lot of stuff that is in, in the book that I would push back on a lot. But I think she's trying to make good faith, reasonable arguments. I think there's a lot of evidence presented, uh, both anecdotally uh, and sort of data that helps support the point, which is why I think if, if you're doing that kind of, if you're making that kind of effort, I would just Don't stay away word. from the word. Yeah. Because it, I think it, it, it damages 
the the kind of veracity and and the perception of trustworthiness. Yeah, uh, and it seems to me, I would say this too. It seems to me that they're responding to the progressive definition and not the original definition, right? Like they're basically, you know, they're basically saying, "Look what's going on," and some of the things they say are going on on the left are actually going on, right? But it's also being used as a political ploy, as a cultural ploy. So it loses so much credibility just based off how it's being used, how ill-defined it is. And so what happens, and this is what happens in the culture war on both sides, one side gets away with certain things because the other side doesn't have the credibility to really address it in, in, a, in, a, in the proper way. And that's right. kind of what's happening here as well. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's about where and how, like, for sure, like, I've definitely, like, been around, I've, I've both been in, in places where somebody who's more to the left than I am is 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 basically telling me that I'm not woke, right? Because, you know, there was a time before this reset, you know, sort of thing with woke, where you wouldn't, you wouldn't be ashamed to tell somebody, you know, that you, that you are woke or conscious because that really just bore, I mean, I think, God, like five years ago, like that really just bore the, the concept, at least in, in my social circles, that you have a basic awareness of kind of like, systemic injustice and historical injustice and how that does, um, you know, sort of uh, inform or at least impact certain situations as they exist today. Right. So, but I've had people tell me from the left, like you're not woke because you don't affirm X, Y, Z thing. I've also had, you know, the situation that you described where somebody's like, you know, I'm, I'm sick of the woke stuff because here that stuff comes again. What, what you don't have is, a governor, right? Like we have, you know, one of the most progressive governors in America in the state of Illinois. You don't hear J.B. Pritzker stand up and in his official commentary to the press or on uh, the, the floor of the, the legislature using the word wokeness to, to, to make his, his argument or saying that, you know, the laws have to be woke, right? And so it, it, it is still, I think, while co-opted on the left, it is is also relegated to a certain level of the discourse because it's just not effective uh, to to be able to stand up and make the argument. And and again, the arguments there to be made, especially for this particular individual that we're talking about, the arguments there to be made. I think if you look at the book, um, that that the uh, you know the, the argument is being made. You may not agree with it, but I think that she's making the argument. She and her co-author are making the argument um, pretty well in the book. I, I I just think that every time, if if you're on the right or you're trying to make a conservative point, to use the word wokeness, I don't think it helps you very much. Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh well, it depends what your goal is. What's your goal? Is if your goal is to rile people up, it actually does help you a lot. If your goal is to actually add to the discourse, that's become one of those terms that's just not gonna help you add to the discourse. Let me end by saying this. I wanna have a little bit of grace uh for for Mandel. Um being someone that's done interviews, you can kind of just have a brain, you know what I'm saying? You can kind of just sometimes be like, whoa, um, and get hit with a question that you're not ready for. Um, even though you may know the answer in a different context, it's just not your day. So that can happen. Um, and she she wrote an article, I think, in Newsweek saying she had a whole bunch of stuff going on with the kids. She dump, jumped on. It just wasn't a good day for her. Now, what Chris says was that even in the book, there wasn't a good 
a good definition. So maybe that doesn't really get off the hook and it, it doesn't get off the hook, but something for us to, us to consider. Then I would also say this. I think that deserves criticism. I think we should be able to criticize that publicly. Let's stop short of humiliation. Because what I saw in some instances was folks really just trying to make sure that she was humiliated. You know, the point had been made and everybody just driving at home, taking shots. I don't think we need to do that. Uh, It needs to be addressed. I don't think it needs to go as far as some folks took it. But I'll let you take us out on that point, Chris. Yeah, no, for sure. As uh, as as a person who has five kids, uh, I can tell you that when stuff is uh, swinging out of control with kids, and you know that that's a rough time to jump on an interview. I have, you know, I, I ran for Congress, you know, and and so I, I'm 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 uh, completely understanding of of that kind of situation, and you certainly don't want to. Uh, you know, humiliate somebody. But, you know, at the same time, going on rising is not something that you have to do. You made uh, yourself a public figure, right? Yeah. So you you got to take that those punches. I'm just saying for Christians, when the point has been made, when it's not necessarily about correction anymore, but just making uh, her look as stupid as possible or conservatives look as stupid as possible. Yeah, that ain't the goal. Like, no, I, I no, no, no one to call off the dogs, man. Yeah, I, I didn't go, you know, like we're, we're discussing this here on the podcast. I didn't go on Twitter and be like, yo, I read your book and I don't think you define it. You know, like it's at, at some point, you know, you can lay off. No, one, you don't want to humiliate people. And, and oftentimes, like this is not uh, this is not even like your thing. Like what what are you getting out of it? How are you building your thing that you are, you know, sort of called to do that you are doing? by tearing this uh this lady down so exactly and we will be right back on the church politics podcast are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives as a christian do you find yourself feeling politically homeless if so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the Ann Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the Ann Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction, the Ann Campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement that we published with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility. This is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and the Right Reverend Christopher Butler. Uh, A Florida state bill, Chris, uh, takes aim at critical race theory and diversity, equity and inclusion programs in higher education. Uh, It basically empowers the Florida Board of Governors, which is the uh, the, the the group that oversees the university system. It empowers them to penalize professors, advisors, and so on in regard to CRT and DEI uh, for a number of reasons. 
Now, when this bill kind of hit the floor, uh, it made a, a, a there was a big outcry. And eventually what happened is D.L. Hughley, who is a comedian from from Kings of Comedy fame, uh, pretty funny guy. He posted a tweet that said that this bill would remove black fraternities and sororities, uh, which which are known as the divine nine from campuses. Now, the tweet didn't originate originate with D.L. Hughley. I think he was retweeting another document and just kind of putting it out there. And so immediately, I mean, that's a pretty big deal to say that black fraternities and sororities are going to be kicked off campus. I mean, this is a black fraternities and sororities are a major part of history for all that may or may not know. I'm part of the uh, uh, fraternity that is Kappa Alpha Psi uh, Fraternity Incorporated. And so this is a big deal to me, too. And to think that they might be kicked off of campus based on a bill like this. Is crazy. I mean, that's that's a big deal. So so if that's the case, it needed to be addressed immediately. So as usual, people asked us hit us up on social media. They didn't hit us up on Patreon like they should have, but I'm still going to talk about it for you and say, can you guys address what's really going on here? Can you guys address it? The first thing I want to say in, re- in this regard, Chris, is that this this bill is poorly written. Right. Uh, it's poorly written um, and it's really in the same vein as the Stop Woke Act that we also know came out of Florida. One of those bills that can have serious implications, but people once again didn't put the time into it to make sure that it was precise, that it was doing what they intended for it to do if there was a very serious intention for it, right? Basically, Chris, it's a product of what we talked about before, right? The kind of woke, conservative, scare tactic stuff that we just got through talking about in the last segment. Um, It is a way to keep certain politicians, namely Governor DeSantis, in the national news. Now, to be clear, he has not signed this yet as of what I've seen. But I do think it's fair to assume that he's aware of it. Uh, that it's coming out of his party and that he could have something to do with it or his staff could have something to do with it behind the scenes. That's possible. That seems to be his M.O. He certainly knows what's going on. And probably if he didn't want it to hit the floor, he could have stopped it from hitting the floor. He has continually and we talked about him last week. He has continually exploited what these kinds of, he he's exploited these kinds of issues to boost his national profile. And it's worked. I mean, based on some of the stuff that he's done his national profile has gotten to a position where he's somewhat challenging Trump. But at the end of the day, when we're thinking about the public discourse, we're thinking about this democracy, I consider what he's doing to be shameful. And I think if he wants to be taken seriously as a candidate, if he decides to run for president, stuff like this has to stop uh, because it's just not helpful to democracy. We're in a place where we need serious people that aren't doing things like this just to get attention. That said, after reading the bill, Chris, and I, and I did go down this bill uh, line for line, I can tell you that it doesn't explicitly say black fraternities and sororities will be removed from campus. And I can't honestly, in all honesty, I can't tell you that it looks like that was even an intended outcome. Uh, at most, because the v- bill is so vague and because it's so poorly written, Someone could possibly interpret it as affecting campus advisors in a way that might indirectly impact fraternities and sororities uh, in one way or or another. I guess it could be possible, 
But I do I, w- I do have to say after reading it as being as 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 objective as possible, knowing how much I care about my wife's a part of a, a black a sorority. Knowing how much I care about these issues, I still have to say that I think that opinion is overstated. The author of the bill said that wasn't the intention, which that doesn't you know, that could mean something or not mean something. They could be honest or dishonest about that. But I believe the Senate bill has already addressed the issue in a very substantive way. So in my opinion, if you're looking for my opinion, black fraternities and sororities in Florida aren't going anywhere. And if I'm wrong, you can call me out on it. I don't think that was the intention of the bill. I think the bill was poorly written and it opened the door for this. So what we have here, in my opinion, Chris, is American politics. Republicans write a sloppy bill to energize their base. Democrats seize on that opportunity to energize their base. And then we react to headlines and stretched interpretations and find more reason to distrust one another. But I'd love to hear what you think, Chris. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's exactly it. You know, um, this sort of American politics, at least modern American political uh, situation plays out. And the end result of that, though, is that no or at least very little effective analysis is, is actually applied to the actual legislation. And so the consequences intended or unintended of the legislation will just play out in the lives of young people trying to study at universities w- without any real robust conversation. I mean, like the, you know, I, I, I looked at the, the legislation and not only is it, is it a poorly written bill or maybe because it's so poorly written, uh, I think it is a bad piece of legislation. But again, like we were talking about in the first block, you get on this political thing and you kind of won't get out of the way of your own intellectual capacities uh, to make argument against this legislation on its merits. I mean, this this legislation, if if somebody put this thing on my desk and said, you know, look at this bill. Is it something that the that that we should support or oppose and why? You know, I, you're looking at a piece of legislation that, in, in my view, literally changes the fundamental goal of Florida's higher education institutions, right? The, the state schools in Florida, uh, you know, according to this legislation, you know, apparently the statute set the objective of the universities uh, to be to, uh, you know, to, to pursue the academic success uh, of its students, the national reputation of its faculty and its academic research programs, the quality of externally generated research patents and licenses, and the strategic and accountability plans. This bill actually adds to that fundamental purpose to promote citizenship in a constitutional republic and the state's existing and emerging workforce needs. These these are supposed to be universities, you know. I, I, I think Justin, where like you know, and and I'm I'm all for like vocational study and all that stuff. We can do another podcast about that another time. But you know, at the university level, like at some at some level, you want people to go into university, have their sort of intellects engaged, and you know, learn to to research, to write, to think critically, uh, and all these things. And now we're saying like the goal of the university is to make people good citizens of the constitutional republic and create uh, people to meet the emerging workforce needs of the state. Like 
that's a fundamental shift in, in sort of like what the whole university system exists for. Um, so instead of saying like, you know, we're running around and saying, like, oh, this is going to chase, you know, black fraternity sororities off a of campus is not. But it is changing the goal of university system. There's language in the bill that may open the door for actual gender discrimination, right? Like they strike the word gender and the discrimination portion uh, and insert the word sex. What kind of legal implications is that going to have? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, Justin. You are. But, you know, those are the types of things uh, that I think are arguments that could be made against the bill on its merits rather than taking some, you know, funding portion of the bill, blowing it way out of proportion, talking about, you know, is going to chase black fraternities and sororities off of campus. And as soon as that argument is debunked, which it can be and will be uh, because it's, you know, in, in essence, not really true, then, you, you know, you've lost the argument. And and so I, I just feel like if we could, on both sides of, you know, debate, sort of get out of our own way with our politics and try to make arguments on, like, facts and actual meritorious arguments, uh, I feel like we would do better. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. You know, there are probably political consultants who would say, you know, I'm full of it. And like you stir up your base and you do what you but need. That's, but that's just it. There's two there's two issues here, right? There's the issue of policy and what good policy is. Then there's just politics and riling people up. And and these two interests or these two ways to go about it are in conflict in many in, in instances. And what usually tends to suffer is the policy, <laughs> not not necessarily the politics. And, and how that plays out in electoral politics. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot going on here. One one lesson I think we can pull from this is whenever I see a headline that just like, man, that's a lot. That's that's pretty extreme. And this was an extreme head to kick. To Can you imagine all the black fraternities and sororities in, in Florida, Florida, which has a lot being kicked off campus? That's huge. So I'm not saying don't believe it because it's that, but look into it a little more. Before before we kind of send those around and all that stuff, because this it, it's a somewhat far fetched that that would happen. But it is so vague that it opened up the opportunity for people to say that it could possibly happen. And to your point, there are other things. So, so this does mention a lot of other places where it would have a huge impact. But that's very different than kicking black fraternities and sororities off campus, which Democrats know is going to make you know a lot of African-Americans extremely upset. And so. There was, that was kind of forced a little bit. Yeah. You know, and if it, you know, I, I guess it's kind of like, uh, you know, the instinct that we have around too good to be true. Uh, I think in modern politics, we have to get that same kind of instinct about too bad to be true. Because re- re- Democrats know that talking about kicking black fraternity and sororities off of campus is going to get black folks riled up. But Republicans also know that actually kicking black fraternities and sororities off of campus would be completely undoable it, it would it would be unsustainable the, the, and there's no constituency for that like who wants to who's out there saying yeah we don't need black sororities and fraternity i i haven't heard any conservatives saying that maybe there are some out there now you could talk about black studies and all that i just don't know that there's a constituency that's going to give somebody credit for kicking student organizations like that off campus so we gotta we we have to be a little more careful with what we that. just consume yeah and, and you, you just got th- that that portion of the bill that i think 
just looking at the bill, the, the portion I, that I would imagine people are pointing to is the funding, uh, you know, around organizations that actually advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, it's like, while this is not going to kick black fraternities and sororities off of campus, what is what is the the big issue? I, and maybe I'm on the wrong side of the conflict with policy and politics, um, which is, you know, I didn't do too well in the electoral arena, but the, I feel like there's an argument to be made. Why do we not want to have any support for organizations that support or advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially in the university environment where there are other people and organizations that will be arguing against it. And if that's the goal of the university is to like play host to these types of debates, why do we not want to facilitate that? No, Um, I agree. I, I completely agree. Like, you know, why, why, why would that, you know, why would that be an issue? But I think that's just a huge leap from it could affect the funding of some organizations who do that to black fraternities and sororities are being kicked off campus and everybody really being like, oh, man, this is crazy because it creates a world that we're just not in right now. Things are bad. The fact that we're even challenging some of these classes and some certain, you know, certain uh, issues that we're having in regard to racing it, it being taught in an honest way. Very bad. But let's not, you know, let's not take it to a place where we're not at right now. And I don't think we're quite there right now. And if you look at the bill and I I invite you to read it yourself, the most you could see is a very indirect impact on these type of organizations. And there's really no benefit, I don't think, to anybody to even push something like that. So go yeah. ahead. I, I guess I'm, I'm probably making the segment way too long, but I, we should do another one sometime because my question is, why do we not think we can win a political fight by pointing out that you're changing the literal goal of the university system? Because that, that takes too long to explain. Yeah, it takes too long to explain. I mean, you're right. We have to. People should be making that case. But it's easier to say, oh, man, DeSantis is so crazy. They kicking all black fraternities and sororities off campus. Yeah, there are a lot of I ain't got to explain. Listening to this saying that's why Chris, you're not going to have a good life. No, I'm just saying I think you're right. But I, but if if I'm you know if if I'm if I don't have the scruples that I should have, it's easier just to, just to say it that way. So I, I think it goes for both sides. Why not do what you intend to do instead of kind of blowing stuff out of proportion? So again, that's my interpretation of the situation. Y'all check it out for yourselves. We will be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. I'm going to give you a quote. Maybe you can understand it, maybe not. Illegal leaks will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest. Take our nation back. Can you interpret that? Apparently, this is Trump using his social media platform to tell his supporters that according to leaks, illegal leaks, uh, he will be arrested this week. And that they should protest and take their nation back. Um, that post, Chris, has taken over all of media uh, since it was posted. Uh, what was that? Did maybe this weekend? Um, even though no credible news station has been able to confirm that he's going to be arrested this week. Uh, according to NPR, indications are that a grand jury in New York is very close to indicting Trump in a case related to a seven-year-old 
hush money payment to porn star actress Stormy Daniels. So this is arises once again, as you know, there are several different cases, one of them being in Georgia that threatened to actually put Trump in jail. I don't know about you, Chris, but this particular case lends itself to say it's politically motivated in a way that I don't think that I think the Georgia case is a little more substantive. This is old. This is about a porn star. This is stuff that people knew before they voted for him. Uh, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that he shouldn't uh, uh, be held accountable. But as far as substance and the political side of it, this looks a little more like it could be politically motivated than him actually being on the phone, being recorded, trying to overturn an election. Right. Two different things. I think what they're trying to do in New York is they're using kind of a, a novel uh, legal idea to try to catch him on this. Um, that's you know, that's not illegal to use novel le- to use novel ideas and, and try to connect it to, to kind of his bookkeeping and all that. I just don't think. This is the one I think. Well, let me put it this way, Chris. It benefits Trump to have this be the issue if he's going to get arrested to have this be the one that he gets arrested for first, because I think the other ones are more, more substantive and, and probably a, a better path forward for, for the, for the prosecutors. What do you think, man? Yeah. I mean, I think that all that is absolutely true. Um, I'm, I'm going to have what may be a really unpopular take because uh, I, I keep hearing people say, you know, that they have to pursue this because that's just the law and Donald Trump is just a, a person. And, you know, so we got to do it. I am, you know, the first person to step up and say that we can't treat people differently just because they have money or status, that kind of thing. But let me tell you, presidents and former presidents of the United States of America are different from the rest of us. Um, and if you pretend, if we collectively pretend that that is not the case uh, in, in this particular moment, I think we do so to our own peril um, because you you do not want to set a precedent of going and throwing former presidents of the United States in jail. You know, our our democracy is is too fragile for that. You know, I, I think the right should not have chanted lock her up and we should be oh so careful about throwing people who were the head of state in this country. I mean, that, that club is so small and that office is endowed with such uh, not just real power, but also symbolism that we should be very careful um, about, you know, how we allow ourselves to proceed. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we should be very careful. I don't think this law, this particular prosecution, if it does indictment, if it does move forward, is the way to go about something like this. Um, but I think if there's a substantive case in Fulton, Fulton County here in Atlanta, I see that one as more substantive because that was a that was a, a major deal. But 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 to you, I think your point stands. You got to be very careful because you don't want to get into this situation where. Every time a new party gets into office, now they're trying to arrest the last, you know, the last uh, president. But I think people would counter that by saying this was an extraordinary, not this particular instance, but the instance with when, when it came to overturning 
the election was an extraordinary. It's, it's this that's not something that's happening every election, right? That that was different and deserves attention. Yeah, people I think will certainly counter that, but I think the the point that you made is is the one that I would stress, which is try to take your partisanship out of it for a moment here. I think everybody should, because once the precedent is set, whatever that precedent is, will come back around again and again. It will spiral downward. Uh, So I, I, I think that if you have to include in your argument that, well, the president's no different from anybody else, you might want to go back and check your argument. I think that the Fulton County case is certainly something that has to be looked at. But if you're going to arrest a president or former president of the United States of America, it's be it tight. shouldn't be because we can do it. It yeah. should be because we absolutely cannot right. not do it. Right. Like we and this New York case, I mean, if we're to be honest, it's not as extraordinary as what went on in uh, uh, in Georgia. Um, we could probably think of other presidents who had, and that doesn't make it right. But it's just to say you do have you don't have to prosecute him on on something like that. Right. Um, there's reasons to say, well, practically speaking, the resources that are going to be put into this very novel because it's novel. It's not a it's not a straightforward ironclad case that you're bringing to out there. So you don't have to do it. If you look at the resource prosecutors all the time have to look at resources, they have to look at all that. But you also have somebody who ran on the fact that they were going to do it, which also makes it look political, politically motivated. And I think based on that particular case, now we're switching from the law to politics. That would actually help Trump because the chances that they get him are slim for him to have to go through that trial, stay in the news, stay in, in the middle of everything. I think that benefits him more than anything. And I think that progressives that don't see that, I'm like, what are y'all doing? This is helpful to him. One of the last things I want to see is, is have him run this in this next election and win. I'm just going to be straight up with you on that. This does not help. This does not help that cause. And we can't use the law, or manipulate the law to get what we want anyway, whether we want to see him run or don't want to see him run. I think almost any indictment of president, former President Donald Trump is a gift to him politically. I think if this one comes first, all bets are off. Because not only will he probably beat this case in court, it will just it, it will serve to to politically delegitimize any other uh, indictment that comes after. Yeah. And it'll put him at, at the forefront of every other candidate in the in the race. And, you know. Again, there's a legal side of it. There's a political side of it. Y'all make the decision. But uh, I don't I don't think this one, especially in New York, is, is a good look or it's going to be helpful to anything or or end up in a prosecution. Well, and Kent, we appreciate y'all for another episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Before we end, though, I want to give a shout out to Derek. Uh, if y'all recall, we asked the question on why I call Chris my play cousin. And the reason I call him my play cousin is because our parents, my father and his mother, went to the same school. In Chicago, west side of Chicago, went to the same school. That was the answer. Derek got the answer. Some of you other folks were very creative. Y'all were making stuff up. Y'all were very creative. But that's the answer. Shout out to Derek, man. We're going to get that shirt out to you. And we'll, we'll probably do this a little more often, man, to see who's listening, who's been Derek following. Really listens. He even got the name of the school. Yeah, he even got the name. Of, he must have went back and said, wait, I remember that. Let me go back and, and, and check this out. So g- great job, Derek. Uh, We're going to get that shirt out to you for sure. We appreciate everybody else who participated. Well, Ann Camp, there's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing and neither faithful witnesses who love social justice 
and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ann Camp. We'll holla at you. Dear Lord.